Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, back again after a week off. Hope you haven't missed me too much. I hope everybody out there is enjoying their week. We're going to talk tennis today, recap Wimbledon, talk about all the tennis storylines with Rachel Stillman, big friend of the show. A lot going on in her world. She's hosting a show called The Toss Up, which I hope all you guys check out. Recently spoke at a conference in Atlanta talking tennis and other things. It's Rachel Stolman on the Money Mitch Effect. Here's that interview now. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch to talk tennis. One of my favorite guests. My favorite guest, really, to talk tennis with. There we go. Professional and also a media professional now, Rachel Stoneman. Thanks for coming back to the show. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. I, knew, I was going to say favorite tennis guest. I just you're <laughs> Definitely on the Mount Rushmore, favorite guest. It's just hard when you specialize <laughs> sports. But, Rachel, we wanted to talk about Wimbledon. It's a little delayed. It's, that's my fault. I was on vacation. But... A lot to recap with the Wimbledon tournament, and, and it, it's my favorite major, but it also leads us into the summer, which might be the best time for tennis. we got to start with Nole Novak Djokovic, who's back on top, gets his fourth Wimbledon title, his first, his 13th major, but his first one since 2016, which is a pretty big gap for one of the greatest players of all time. He beats Nadal 10-8 fifth set in the in the semifinal match for the ages. Beats Kevin Anderson in the final in straight sets. Rachel, we were questioning Djokovic's motivation, his mental state, whether he had some injuries. But yet again, I think this is further proof you can't doubt the heart of a champion. Djokovic is back on top. What stood out to you and, and what do you think made the difference for him righting all those wrongs that have plagued him the last year and a half? Yeah, I really think you said it all right there. Um, I think that the last year and a half, it's obviously been a struggle for him as far as, you know, how he was doing, his coaches on tour, all of that. I think that what stood out to me the most was his mental game. Like, he he looked more mentally solid than he had in the last year and a half. And I think that's what, you know, took him that far into the championship match and made him push through and win that 10-8 in the fifth so yeah I would say it's mental he, he looks like himself again he looks confident he looks unstoppable it was just it was a good performance overall by Joe Vick so there were some key moments in the lead up to the title obviously he, he blitzed Anderson and won that pretty handily he plays Kyle Edmund the British favorite crowds against him it's not really going well early, and he figures it out and wins. Same with his match against Nisha Corey. Those were moments in the summer on clay and other surfaces where he hadn't he hadn't really figured it out. He'd start to unravel. Against Nadal, they play three sets after the Isner-Anderson match, and, and we know that match isn't going to finish. They're under the roof. It, it's just phenomenal tennis. He wins the third set to go up 2-1. to one. He loses that fourth set. I got to say, I thought he was going to lose the match, and that's where he proved me wrong, is that he was able to dig deep and, and really throw it back to the Djokovic of old, where earlier even this year, I mean, he's lost to Terror Daniel, Benoit Pair, a couple others as well that, that aren't big-name players, but against the biggest moments, against Rafael Nadal, the number one player in the world, he dug deep, and, and that really stood out to me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, I would agree, like, um, and that's and that's kind of the old Djokovic we were talking about, like, one that's down, you know, two sets to love or something. He, he's known to be a fighter. He's known to not give up, and he's known to come back in matches that, you know, maybe he should be winning and is down, but 
I really think it's his mental game at the end of the day. Whatever he had kind of going on off the court, he's gotten together and, and he's back on track now. So that's good. Yeah, maybe he is, you know, reeling it in. He seems really focused on, on the family life. It was cool to see his kid there as well. Um, they had a really special moment after as well. You know, it's funny too, Rachel. There has not been a player outside of the big four to win Wimbledon since 2002. I saw that. <laughs> that's, that is just years. amazing. Yeah. It so really just amazing. shows you how dominant that is. I mean, Federer has eight, Murray two, Joker four, Nadal two, but it, yeah. it's just how how tight on top that, that game is. Um, I do want to give a shout-out, though, to Kevin Anderson, college tennis player, which oh, I know means a lot in I. your world. But he's made two of the last four major finals. He beat Federer coming back from two sets down. He had that marathon win against Isner. And I know it might not be the most pleasing game on the eyes at times, but it gets the job done. And he's playing yeah. the best tennis of his life. Yeah, it's really fun to see a um, college tennis player, like especially that you know Georgia-Illinois battle between Isner and himself. I mean, it, it, it's really cool because it's something that's you know rare, but it also shows tennis players right now who are in college that, yeah, they, there is a possibility for life on tour and success on tour. Yeah, he he's got a different game, a unique game, but he's got a big serve and and um, he gets the job done. And I think that it was a really good win for him against Isner. I don't think he's Isner's experienced the long long match. Obviously, he had you know the longest three day match ever, but I don't think he's experienced a match like that. So I think it was kind of big for him. Uh, what I really liked about Anderson was his post match interview. He was like. I liked him, but after hearing his interview, like, I really liked him. Like, he was just very humble. He was almost sympathetic to Isner for the match for just how long it was, and you know what I mean? And and then mm-hmm. he, he uh, in a very professional way, stated how he um, thought that the um, format for the games at, at the fifth set, win by two games. Right, and I wanted to, to yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that, Rachel, because that was at a time when we felt like that match would never end. And I do think that that rule needs to be revisited. Yeah. Partly because I don't really have a lot of, I don't want to say sympathy, but I don't have a problem with the players playing. I have a problem with the schedule being ruined with Djokovic and Nadal then not being able to finish with the women's final the next day. My suggestion, just me, not really based on any data, but I would say 12-12. I think if you play a full another set, that's fine for me. That's exactly what Isner had said. He said that that's what should happen in that fifth set, that they should play at 12 12. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, just an extra set you would play instead of, you know what I mean? But it makes sense. You know, and, and I get the fact that it, it could go on forever. I get the logic of just win the match, just find a way to break your opponent. But it got to be a point, and I think part of it is, part of it too is, everyone there was waiting to see Nadal versus Djokovic. So the fans are getting restless. The people watching are getting restless. You know you can't finish on time. It just it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna end. It, it, the end did not seem in sight, I should say. Um, and I do think the rule is gonna change eventually. All these Grand Slams can make their decisions on their own. That's why the U.S. Open is the only one that does have a fifth set tie break. But mm-hmm. I think this one might be yeah. be a, a reason mean- why. Yeah, I mean, for the for the sake of the game, like I mean, the game's evolved over the years. It's more athletic now. Um, not like not putting down the game, you know, years and years ago. But it's just, I mean, it's not good for the athletes playing five hour matches and then expecting to play the next day or two days from then. Like it's almost, I mean, it's nearly right. 
setting them up for an injury or something. I just think that they do need to somehow fix that format, whether it's whether it is twelve twelve or whether it is just play the tiebreaker like at the U.S. Open. So, but something definitely needs to change, and I bet we'll see that probably within like the next year. Still chatting with Rachel Stolman on the Money Mitch effect. It, it was an interesting open. You had Federer going out early. Isner making the semis too. Want to give him credit for for peaking well. Uh, the Federer side was interesting though because he loses to Anderson. He is an eight-time champion here. He was the overwhelming favorite going in. We're at this point again, right? Whenever Federer loses, he's in his 30s. He's going to be 37 this year. Where we got to think: Is he slipping? Is he? Is he not at his peak performance? He announces that he's going to not play the Rogers Cup. Probably will play Cincinnati. Do you think this is maybe injury related, or do you think Rachel this might be Federer just taking maintenance and trying to conserve right. for the yeah. U.S. Open? Yeah, honestly, um, at this point. Both thoughts kind of occurred to me whether it is like maybe he does have a little injury that he needs to, you know, resolve before the U.S. Open or he's strategically structuring his schedule so that, you know, he will be well rested for the for the big tournament, the U.S. Open. Either way, it's probably a smart. I mean, obviously, it's a smart decision. He made it, but I think that it's the right way to go. Um, I think it's the right way to go for him moving moving forward before the U.S. Open. Yeah, I would say this is to use a different word, recalibrating his schedule. Last year he plays the Rogers Cup, loses to Zverev in the final, and then doesn't play Cincinnati. I think the plan was always to play one tournament yeah. this time around, and I think he's just switching it up, which probably makes a little more sense because you get that week off after Cincinnati before the Open starts. But he's the one, maybe the he's definitely the exception to the rule, but he's maybe the one athlete in all sports that has proven he doesn't need any warm-up tournaments to do well in majors. Yeah. So. I think he'll be fine there. It was just fascinating to see him. Yeah, we'll just have to kind of wait and see him at the Open. He'll be recharged and, and ready to go, so that'll be good. What did you think about the official news, though? Uniglow, he's, he did it. He just walked out in, in typical Federer fashion, right? He just walks out onto center court without saying anything, draped in Uniglow. <laughs> I know, man. It, it, i got to tell you, it did look kind of weird like to see him now. Very with the weird. Bush, but um, you know what? He did what he had to do with this. I mean, the deal's amazing. You can't be upset with him. No, is there anybody here that in good faith would raise their hand and say, you know, I, I like Nike so much, I'm going to turn down $300 million. I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> That's what it comes down to as well. So, yeah, he made a smart decision. It, You know, the, we were talking about this, though. He does not have a shoe deal. That was what we kind of predicted. Yeah, he so. still had I, I think it's going to be Nike. This is just me thinking as a as a Fetter, maybe I wouldn't say historian, but someone that's followed him. He's 37. Does he really want to switch shoes? You know, does he really want to take that you know that performance risk? I think he's going to stick with Nike. Yeah, I would agree with that. Nike shoes. I can't see him switching, especially like he's already put in so much time in them already. Well, a couple of things on the men's game before uh, we switched to the women's side at Wimbledon, Rachel. It was uh, another banner year for the older generation. All four semifinalists were over 30. First time that had happened. And next month, I don't know if you know this, but next month, within weeks, within I think a week of each other, will be birthdays for Marin Cilic and Juan Martin Del Potro. When they turn 30, each in the same within the same week, I think, there won't be an <laughs> active male tennis player under 30 with a Grand Slam. Wow, that is crazy stat. It's insane. Yeah, I I, that I, that's got it. That has to have never happened before. No, <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, I can't imagine when the last time someone. I yeah, just, that's wild. 
I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who the next person is going to be to break through, but we have a generation now that's, yeah. I don't want to say lost yet, but it, it, it's Yeah, no, there. there's some pretty amazing, like, you know, younger players on tour starting to have their kind of breakouts. You got, you know, Zverev and Tiafo and Kyrgios. Like, everyone's kind of catching the attention and, and showing lots and lots of talent moving forward. And I think that we'll see it within the next couple of years, a lot of the younger players start to kind of, take advantage of not only not only playing their best but also the you know the older players starting to kind of move out of the picture so absolutely yeah. and i think del potro nadal was my favorite match of the tournament just how great they were playing nadal just vintage performing on grass for the for the in a throwback performance of the ages del potro at 107 mile an hour forehand in that match that's insane <laughs> It was good to see, but let's let's switch gears here, Rachel, and talk about the women's side and and something very interesting. Angie Kerber winning her third major, her first Wimbledon title, beating Serena Williams in the final. I don't know if the story of the tournament is Kerber getting another major, basically cinching a Hall of Fame career, another over thirty player doing just that. Right. Serena getting back to the major final, or option option C. Not a single top 10 player doing anything good on the women's I side. I know. Gosh, like th that tournament was wild on the women's side. So, you know, all the top seeds go out pretty early. That was crazy. But, I, yeah, Kerber. Yeah, okay? I would say Serena. We got to start with her for obvious reasons. But I, I think her comeback, it was great to see her do well on this surface. And I do think that however long she wants to play, this is the tournament where she's going to do the best at the longest. I think this is... Her at Wimbledon, her on grass courts, I think she has the best chance to succeed as she gets older. And it's not yeah. her fault. It's never it's never the player's fault. We talk about this with Federer and Nadal all the time. When the players, you know, you just beat who's in front of you. It's not her fault that the top players didn't get there. I just don't know how well performance-wise this run was, given that she didn't really have to play anybody. Gurgis was in the semis, and then yeah. Kerber, I think the best player she beat ranking-wise was Meldenovich, I want to say, before right. Gurgis. So... It was very fortunate. I mean, in my opinion, like, you know, any match that she had to play since, you know, it's only been 10 months or so since, you know, when she gave birth and went through all the complications. Like, it's already truly, like, amazing that she's doing what she's doing out there. I think that any kind of match she can play on tour right now and have success over is, is huge for her. And it'll just keep getting better, even when she plays those top players again. Yeah, and I just, I think I want to, I'd like to see her beat some of those top 10 players. I know they all beat themselves, beat themselves, it seemed like, during this tournament. But we'll see. I mean, Kerber did a great job in that match. She had some nice wins beating both Osaka and Kazakina in route to the final, beating mm -hmm. Serena, um, and doing it, doing it really the way she does it, with variation of her ground strokes, mixing up pace, doing a good yeah. job, and not getting served off the court by Serena, which she tends to do. How about yeah. Angie Kerber? I mean, two years ago, we weren't sure what the rest of her career had in store. She had the two major win season. She's another person, not as drastic as Djokovic, but Rachel had to go through an, an, a pretty bad year. 2017 was not good for her, and here she is major champion yet again. Yeah, I think that this year, is it's kind of turnaround for her. I She's been known as kind of like the most defensive player on tour like the most successful at being defensive and and that's just her game style she's that's what she does best and she's really strong she's got really strong legs like she's she's just I mean she just showed a very powerful performance and 
not only that, but mindset wise against Serena, like she was just very, you know, together and was on a mission and she definitely accomplished it. It was, it was a great, great performance by her. Uh, and, and yeah, we said it is a hall of famer for sure. Now the top 10 <laughs> seeds, I don't know who choked more. There was just so many bad performances. Sloan Stevens, we mentioned her being all over the place. She loses in the first round. Uh, Muguruza, your your girl, your your one A one B favorite, oh, with Serena. She just <laughs> Van Udvik beat her. That wasn't a good loss. Halep though was up I yeah. think five two in the third set and blew a match there. So it wasn't it wasn't good. I don't know what the reasoning was, but it seemed like the top players just didn't show up for whatever reason at the All England Club. Yeah, I honestly can't even tell you. It was just so strange. Like, I would keep checking my phone. It's like, this this seed lost, this seed lost. It's like, what is actually going on here at Wimbledon? Um, but, you know, like, there are some strong players that I'm sure uh, Halep and Sloan, I know they'll probably come out and perform really well at the U.S. Open. But, you know, it's just some sometimes you just have an off tournament. It's a different surface, and I don't know. Yeah, another one was Sharapova. She... She choked early as well, and she's someone that had been playing better. I, I man, this U.S. Open is going to be exciting because you got to see what the draw looks like, who can perform. Maybe it's that best of three variable. I, I'm not saying I want to get that on the men's side, but yeah. on the women's side in these majors, best of three, you never know. You just got to win two sets. Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, maybe that is it. It gives them a little extra incentive to go, you know, not try and. I, I wouldn't even say that, but yeah, the two out of three would def- is definitely a better look for them. I think you might get more upsets to win because you don't have That's to ridiculous. win three full sets against a top exactly. player in the world. Uh, yeah. and, and hats off to the All England Club. I think they got that decision right. We talked about Serena's seeding, seeding her 25th. I think that was fair. She yeah. avoided seeds early. It definitely worked to her advantage. What did you think, though, Rachel, about the comment she made yesterday? regarding yeah. getting drug tested she thinks unfairly she thinks well too much all i would say to that is i have no idea how much she's getting drug tested and yeah. it probably is too much but i don't think there's any way for a player to know how much everybody else is getting drug tested so i don't know if yeah. if it's a case of just her getting drug tested too much or the entire tour so i'm just yeah. curious to see what you think about that i really have no idea how that works i know there's random drug tests for the players throughout the year I think that if she's, you know, getting tested an absurd amount, then, yeah, there's some kind of a problem there that needs to be addressed. But I'm really not quite sure the whole situation, like how how many times these players get drug tested throughout the season and how many times she got drug tested. But, you know, clearly it's a lot if it's something she speaks on. She's known as being a very honest player. She's honest about everything. So I think that, you know, it's something that they need to take into account and, kind of see what's going on with that because it isn't right right my my takeaway from all this is that tennis in general men and men and the women's tours have had issues with drug testing in the past and i think what you're seeing is a little bit of an overcorrection with that i think they've had players top name players get popped for certain things so now they're ramping up the testing maybe a little too much and as is the case in pretty much all sports the players that get tested the most when they do these overcorrections are the best players in the world. Yeah. So I think they don't want to look weak by, oh, we're not going to test Serena at all. They're going the other way and maybe testing her a little too much. I get it. It's frustrating because you're sitting at home enjoying a nice Saturday night with the family and you have to take a drug test. So it's not ideal yeah. and it could be very frustrating. But, um, you know, I, I think 
the compensation wise and then being able to play this game can make up for a little bit, but I think she does have somewhat of a point. Yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely something to watch for moving forward, see what they kind of do and what happens with that. So Rachel Stolman here on the Money Mitch Effect. I would say that this time of year is, is kind of maybe the most fascinating. I don't know if it's the best tennis. I think you're getting every player. You should be getting every player rounding into form for the stretch run, the end of the summer, the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. and then and then beyond. What do you think this time of year means for the players on tour that since January, they've just been going. They've gotten through three majors. Yeah. We're back to North America where a lot of them, you know, especially from, from the Americans that they like playing here. What do you think this yeah. time of year means for them? I mean, it's it's almost like, okay, it's, it's not home stretch, but they're close. Like, it's such a long season. The U.S. Open is one of the best tournaments, if not the best tournament. I think that the whole majors series, U.S. Open series is exciting. The player, you know, the incentive where – you know, the player with the best record at, at those tournaments, if they win the U.S. Open, they win an extra million dollars on top of it. I think that that makes it even more exciting for the players. Yeah, I think it's just a it's a good time of the year for them. It's exciting. And just the U.S. Open, the environment, it's just it's different. Like I know we say Wimbledon, it's a tradition. It's the class, the classicness of it. But I think that the U.S. Open is just really, really special. So it's it'll be exciting to kind of see what happens with that. Yeah, I just think you're getting into that groove. You've been playing long enough to where you're fully immersed in the season. And I don't want to say that it's the the championship because there's still tennis to be played and, and it's a four major a year uh, sport. But this is this is the last major of the year. So this is mm-hmm. what you're hoping that you're peaking for. Yeah. And I think it's pretty cool. We we've you've gotten the pleasure to, you know, follow some of these tournaments around. We're in Atlanta last week. You're going to be in DC coming up. Mm-hmm. What do you think the vibe's been for for some of these players? They're, they're not the biggest tournaments, but we're yeah. getting there. We got the Masters coming up with Canada and then Cincinnati, so it's starting yeah. to pick up. I think that these little tournaments, like it is a lot for the players back to back, especially between the slams. I mean, they're playing warm up tournaments to the Grand Slam, and and then like you know, uh, like you just said, I was just in Atlanta. They're playing this tournament in Atlanta, flying straight to DC to play this tournament in DC. It's a lot back to back to back, and it's that grind. And I think that the most, you know, physically physically fit player is the one that's going to always come out on top. And not only that, but the mental mindset of them as well. So just seeing kind of what player has it kind of all together during these tournaments, and then and then we'll get to the U.S. Open, arrive at the U.S. Open confident and ready to play is definitely something to watch for. I'm excited. I, I'm we're getting to that point where matches mean more and more and i like the build up to the u.s open it, it yeah. seems like i mean there was really no grass court build up it's just a short season but we get a nice little little build up some big tournaments and I, yeah and on at reasonable hours which is great for all of us here I know. in the states <laughs> you have to get up early and <laughs> yeah uh, rachel stoneman though i do want to ask you about your trip to atlanta not just to watch some tennis but to speak at a pretty big conference the itpa uh, conference down there it's very it's a very big honor i was very happy for you but what was that like and what what words were you able to share on that uh what words of wisdom i should say were you able to share at that conference yeah thank you so much um well it was it was a, an honor to present um you know i attended this conference last year not knowing too much not knowing too many people and and to be asked to present um out of a year later was truly an honor you know mark kovacs is the best the top He's the top tier of anything that has to do with tennis and fitness. So being at his conference there was a privilege. I'll share 
some personal about my experience there, but when I was young, I read Agassiz's book, um, Open. Yeah. And I was like 15, 14, whenever it came out. And I read it, and I remember being fascinated by Gil Reyes. Agassiz would tell stories about Gil Reyes and, and talk about his trainer, Gil. And so uh, throughout the years, I kind of kept this man in mind, like, oh, he used to train Agassiz this way and this and that. And then, and then at the conference, like, he spoke at the conference. So my world kind of came like full circle where, you know, I got to sit by him at the speaker's dinner that later that evening. And he shared some incredible stories about Agassi and Mike Tyson and mm -hmm. everything. And it was, it was truly amazing. And so my presentation was on uh, top 10 exercises for a junior tennis player. So just sharing kind of what I know about that, working with players, working with junior players and and teaching them, you know, the best kind of exercise to work out. And so it was, it was nice to, you know, share some with everyone there. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And that, that's a, that is a great book. Agassiz's yeah. book. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I think my favorite part in that one was uh, when he talked about how his dad and Steffi Graf's dad almost got into a fight over I who know. had the better backhand. There's so many good stories in that book. And, and if any of your people listening haven't read it, it's definitely one to read. So, Rachel, last thing before I let you go here on the Money Mitch Effect, always a pleasure chatting with you. Sure. We do have to talk about who we think are going to be big players on both sides of the tour going into this summer, end of summer, hard court stretch. On the women's side, we mentioned it's been parody left and right. The last seven majors have been won by seven different women. But if you had to pick one, and I don't I don't know if I'm leaning Sloan Stevens, but based on how she's done and, and – I know it's unpredictable at times, but I think she's going to have a big summer. I think Muguruza could have a big summer as well. Who are some names that you think could shine here in yeah, August? I really think – I still think Serena. I I think she's going to win the U.S. Open. Um, I think Serena wow, Sloan okay. – Yeah, <laughs> I'm calling it. All right. Serena Sloan, uh, Garvin, Halep I think is going to finish strong. I would say those four would be. I think Sloan with the Open. I don't know about the other tournament, but she had so she knows what it feels like to win the tournament. So um, I think she'll do well with that one. I would say Halep is another one. I, I just yeah. think I know Wimbledon was was not good, but it wasn't good for any of the top ten. You almost have to scrap it completely. Yeah. There's something about maybe ripping the Band-Aid off for her of of being labeled, you know, can't win the big one. When she wins the yeah. French Open, I, I think the pressure might be a little off. She lost in the first round last year to Sharapova in a very, very good match, but I think she could be a sneaky candidate as well. I, I like that Serena pick, though, but yeah. we'll see. I, I would, yeah. It would be great to see her. I know the crowd would love it if she made that deep yeah. run, but I, I think it's going to be challenging for, for any of these players to go through the gauntlet. And Maybe another way to look at it, Rachel, is there's more depth on the WTA, WTA Tour than ever before. Yeah, and I think that's another way to look at it. When You know, when I think of Halep, Ivanovic kind of comes to mind. She won the French and then kind of just didn't hear from her again. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Halep, but I'm just like, would it? I don't know. But I think she's more, she's more, she's such a fighter and she's so feisty that I can see her doing pretty well at the Open and, you know, winning a few majors in the future. But like you said, there's a lot of depth in the uh, women's side right now. It's hard to choose just like, you know, the three best players or something like that because it's always so up and down. But, yeah, I'm standing by my Serena pick. Okay. All right. My girl. <laughs> All right. That's fair. No, that's uh, that's more than fair. On the men's side, there's always the big three. Djokovic looks mm -hmm. like he's primed to have another big run. Nadal is number one. And Federer is Roger Federer, who 
we think can just show up and, and play well in any tournament. But outside of that, who do you think can make make an impact? Even if it's a lesser-known player, maybe maybe not win these tournaments but make a deep run, who do you think those players might be? Yeah, you know, I would like to see Zverev. He's, you know, tournament after tournament, I feel like every time it's just like, you know, he's getting further and further, getting better and better, more experience under his belt. I can see him going pretty far in the tournament. I want to see players like Francis just with pure talent, players like Francis, players like Kyrgios, and, and just players with talent going further and further into these tournaments. And um, so I can see that kind of on the men's side, uh, along with, you know, the big four. Yeah, Zverev, Zverev is um, his major performances. I mean, he's got multiple Masters 1000s, three of them in, in, to be exact. But yet, Yeah, he knows what it's like to win. But in majors, I just don't know what, what's not happening. He loses to Ernest Golbus, a, a blast from the past, and he gets bagel in the last set of that match. I, I haven't know. heard that name in a minute. It was crazy, yeah. I was like, what year is it? Um, but <laughs> TFO has been playing well. You know, I thought at Wimbledon, yeah. him beating Verdasco, that's a big win for him. It's a win yeah. that I don't think he was capable of mentally a year or two ago. Uh, I do think Del Potro is your best bet to crash the party. He can beat all those guys in one match. He can play big matches and, and perform. But uh, it doesn't look to be like a guy like Dimitrov because he's surely struggling. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, big servers like John Isner and Nick Kyrgios, if they can put it together, can be very, very big threats. And, and I'm going to say it again. we got to stop sleeping on Kevin Anderson because he's just I know. great results. I know. He's so solid. Like, again, I was going to say – Anderson and Isner, I can see going pretty far along with Del Potro. Like, it is pretty up in the air, but I would, if I had to pick, you know, I got to pick my favorite player of all time, Rafa. I mean, you cannot look past him. He's a fighter, and I can see him doing really well at the US Open. So that's my pick, Serena and Rafa. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> really, really going out on a limb with uh, those two unknown players. <laughs> no, they're, they're, Look, they're they're great. Rafa to defend a U.S. Open title would be amazing, and uh, yeah. we're at a point now where Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic are gonna all walk away from the game as clearly the three best players of all time, with all the majors. With literally, yeah. we're at, they have now between them forty nine majors. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's I just, mean, it's honestly, insane. it's insane. Yeah. But Rachel Stoneman, this was fun. Anything uh, anything to plug? I know the toss ups been releasing some good yeah. content. Anything yeah. coming up with that? You know, we got a lot of good episodes coming up, um, a few with some pros. And, you know, I got one with Gil in, in, um, in Atlanta, which I'm really excited about. We're covering D.C. Yeah, I head over there tomorrow, and we're going to get a lot more um, episodes coming everyone's way. So I'm really excited about it. Got some really good information um, coming out. So That's good. I can't wait. Maybe, yeah. you, can, maybe you can dish on Agassi a little more. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's in the book. Stories, like some of those stories, unbelievable. So right. cool. Rachel Stoneman, this was fun as always. Yeah. Won't be long till you're back on. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you so much, Mitch. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again to Rachel Stoneman, and thanks again to everybody listening to the Money Mitch Effect shorter show today but i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you listened to the entire catalog of episodes money mitch effect is on soundcloud itunes and google play just search in the show name all the episodes will pop right up we are up to 155 episodes thanks again to everybody out there for making that possible you can also find us at the money mitch effect facebook page 
I'm on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, for sports and other takes as well. Next week, I have to do a double show. Football is back. Everybody's in training camp. Baseball season is rounding into form with the trade deadline next week. See what happens. My Indians get in hand. Hopefully that helps their bullpen out. But a lot to talk about there in college football as well. Big announcements on those in the fall coming up, so stay with us on that. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks to Rachel Stillman. Thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo. Tim Adams for supplying the beats. And until next time, keep enjoying sports.